as the preacher was speaking, I was looking over the Great Commission, and in Matthew chapter 28, it said teach. In Mark chapter 16, he said preach. In Luke chapter 24, he said he'd give us the power, and then again in Acts chapter 1, he said the same thing. And in John chapter, I believe it's chapter 20, he said that he would give us peace. I sat there and I thought about the peace, and I thought it's a twofold peace that comes. First off, it's the peace that comes to the person that just got saved. Second off, it's the peace to the soul winner that was obedient to his Savior and took the gospel to the persons that God would have him to take him to. I remember as I left Bismarck, North Dakota one time, and I, we didn't make much money in North Dakota. I don't think anybody makes much money in North Dakota. And I remember as, we, as I left and just didn't take any money as I was heading down to Tennessee going to see my folks, and I'd be staying there with them. And so as I got on that plane... Uh, just left everything with Nadine. She said, you want me to fix you breakfast? And I said, no, I'm, I'm not hungry. They'll, fill, they'll feed me on the airplane. And I got on the plane, went to Minneapolis, and they didn't feed me. And I was getting somewhat hungry. And I remember I got on the plane thinking to myself, surely betwixt here and Memphis, they'll feed me. Got on the plane, went to Memphis, and they didn't feed me. And it's about 4.30, I'm sitting in Memphis, and I'm telling you, I am hungry. I am starving, and, and I probably was somewhat grumpy. And I'm sitting there, and I had my Bible, and I was reading my Bible, and I felt as if God said, I want you to put a, a tract on that pay phone over there. And I sat there with my Bible, just hungry and kind of not feeling good, and tried to converse with the Lord along the lines of, Lord, I'm reading your word and it was something along the lines, yes, but I'm wanting a tract over there. And, and it kind of went back and forth. I, I just, I was in one of those moods. I did not want to be disturbed. And finally, basically, to get the board off my back, I got up and I took a tract out of my pocket and I walked to that payphone and I got within about five feet of that payphone and that payphone started going chinkity, 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 chink, chink, chink. And I said, what in the world? Like any Baptist preacher would do, I went and opened the change return thing. And I looked in there, and that thing was loaded. And I quick put the tract up, then started dishing that change out, and I went and got me something to eat. And I said, boy, it pays to serve God. <laughs> but I, I know this, that, that it, in a joking sense, it pays to serve God. But far more than that, there's the greatest peace that I've ever experienced in my life when I was knocking on a door and talking to people about the Lord. And I'll tell you one philosophy that I have, and then I'll get on with preaching. That I have found that when I start getting feeling sorry for myself, and I start getting low, down, discouraged, if I'll just go knock on some doors, it gets my mind off of me and gets it on other people. And see, and that's, a, that's, a, that's an important thing, at least it is with myself. And when I start getting down, just go knocking on those doors, and it seems like it just perks me right up. Alrighty, the topic I'm going to preach on this evening is uh, the need for the, His Baptist churches that we have, the Holy Independent Separated Baptist Churches. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look in verses 15 and 16. Stand with me, please, as we just look at these two verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Before we go any further, let me make a statement if I could. Uh, I'll, you, you'll, you'll be happy standing anyway. When we first got married, Nadine and myself, we got married in Peewee Valley, Kentucky, actually Eastwood, Kentucky, and lived in Peewee Valley, Kentucky. And we were just a young couple, and uh, 
Southern Baptists. Nadine wasn't saved and didn't know it, and I was saved and couldn't tell it. And, and we, we were just kind of floating along through life and trying to figure out what to do. And while she was with child, I remember we got the series of tapes from Brother Williams, and we didn't know you, but somebody gave us a series of tapes. I don't know who it was. And I remember we played those tapes over the years. We played those tapes, different things. And it was about two years ago that we met Brother Williams for the first time, maybe to, to know you. We might have run across each other's paths prior to that once. But I remember as uh, you preached that day in North Carolina, that all of a sudden, some things that we had applied to our lives, I began to realize I had heard that you, as you had preached it. And I want to thank God for Brother Williams that he's been a blessing in our lives. He's been a blessing to my family. He's been a blessing and didn't even know he was being a blessing to us. God was using him. And uh, I, I thank God for him. I thank God for preachers, and I'm grateful for preachers. And so I just wanted to go on record as, as thanking God and thanking him publicly. Our paths don't cross as much as I wish they could, and so I'm grateful for it. All righty, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, the Scripture says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy for I am holy. Let me read this one more time, please. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' precious name tonight, and we thank you, God, for preachers that you've placed in our lives, and at times, even unawares, when we weren't even looking for preachers, God, you would put preachers in our, in our paths and teach us things and show us things and use them to direct our paths by your word. But Lord, even more importantly than thanking you for the preacher, God, may we thank you for yourself who has directed us through your word into the paths of holiness. God, our goal through this meeting is to help ourselves, first off, by your grace and power to become more holy in your eyes, but equally so, God, to be used of you to stir others to holiness. Father, if a pastor would just catch fire and desire to be more holy and to lead his church into more holiness, God, that would multiply far more than what just one of us could do. Lord, we plead with you that you'd stir pastors and evangelists and missionaries, and Father, that our hearts would be tenderized to become more holy and like you. Now, God, if you don't intervene, we're in a world of trouble this evening. I need your power. Direct my mind and direct my mouth. God, where I would just blunder and say things that you had no intention for me to say, would you please override that, Father, and make accomplishments of your will? And Father, would you abate all pride? Father, we don't have a thing to be proud about, and yet we want to get prideful at times. Please forgive us of that. And tonight, may all be done to your glory and honor. May hearts be stirred to live closer to you than ever before, never to retreat back to where they were before this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you, and you may be seated. Well, God demands holiness, as you noticed it in that passage there, that it was four times in two verses the word holy cropped up. Four times in two verses the word holy cropped up. Well, we've got a holy God. His Spirit is holy, no doubt about that. The Word of Himself is holy, so therefore it would be no surprise that He would expect holiness of us. And so I thank God for the meeting. Now, as I've thought about the needs for this meeting and why this meeting would uh, even be needed or be thought of as something that we would have, well, first off, I I think of three points that I'm going to mention. The first point that I'll mention on why we would even dream of having a meeting that would stir hearts toward holiness is because of all the confusion that's going on in the independent Baptist ranks about what holiness truly is. There's a massive amount of confusion. Therefore, we can have people walk in the doors who are, who are very ill-gotten dressed and think everything's right with God. And we can also have others just the opposite begin to take place as people would come to church and think that their show, meaning their, their appearance, is, is what makes them holy and righteous in God's eyes. Now, first off, I would think to myself, as I begin to think of all that's transpiring, I think of, first off, there's a camp that it would be called, we would call, easy believism. And in this camp of easy believism, as we would call it, we've got doctrines that are diminished in that camp. There are doctrines that are taken away, such as the doctrine of repentance. And I've got some things that I wrote down on the topic. But there's doctrines of, of repentance that are missing. See, we need some things that would be of a repented status. I remember one evangelist in West Virginia as he was out in California cornering a lost person out in a foyer. And he put his arm up in the corner on that side and on this side and the man's right in the middle. And he would not let that man go until that man prayed a prayer to be able to get that, that evangelist off his back. The evangelist walks out the door praising God for a man got saved to the pastor and the lost man comes out angry as a hornet that this evangelist would humiliate him that way in front of all these people. I remember another story about a man in Chattanooga. He'd go up, he'd stand out on on a corner where the red light was and somebody would pull up and he'd have their window down he'd holler, hey, you saved? And they'd say no. They'd say, well, listen, here's what Jesus did. He died, he shed his blood, he was buried, he rose again from the grave. Do you believe that? And they'd say, yes. He said, you just got saved. And then we'd have somebody else over here that they would become like uh, like hawkers, so to speak, in front of an altar where they'd put their, their men down there. And they're like hawkers at, a, at, a, at an auction where they're selling cattle and they're trying their best to get a bid on somebody. And they see somebody nod their head or raise their hand and they start putting pressure on them while they're sitting in their seats. Or how about the pressure on a lost person while he's sitting in the pew to such a point that the person that's sitting beside him won't let him go so he finally gets up and goes down to an altar just for the sake of it. I'm talking easy believism. That's what I'm talking tonight. Now somebody says, well, I'm after a number. I'm wanting to see somebody get saved, but we want them to get saved the Bible way. Now see, that's what we're after. See, the churches have become a circus in many a case. The churches have have become to such a point that they would love to have anything or do anything to get another number. And if a hot dog would draw them, then I'm convinced a hamburger down the road will lose them. And so we've got to be faithful to the Word of God. And on the doctrine of repentance, the Word of God would have us note that in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Scripture says that all should come to repentance. 
It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance. It says in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, it says that we are to repent and be converted. God wants us to have a repentance take place. Somebody says, well, exactly what is repentance and how does it take place? Let's look over in uh, second, uh, of Acts chapter 3 and let's look at verse 26. As it says here, it says, Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So God puts t- in, uh, in, in a similar verse, just a few verses away uh, from a verse that dealt with repentance, he puts the word turning. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so we see a repentance is a picture of a turning that takes place. Then as I begin to think of this thing, then I think of another camp that would sit there. There was some friends of mine that sat and they despised easy believism. They wanted people to get a true salvation. And I watched them as they began to pull, and they had a hatred for sin, and they pulled against easy believism to the point that they somehow crossed the street and went to another ditch, and this ditch is called sinless perfection. And now they walk into this other ditch, and as they're over there, they're saying, now if you do this, you're not saved, or if you don't do this, you aren't saved. And to such a point that I've got a letter that I just recently wrote to to this one friend of mine just discussing this issue. And the issue asks a question, or I personally ask the question, about a verse in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9, and then again in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18, that when the scripture says, being born of God, he says that you will not sin. Or if one is born of God, he committeth not sin. And the question that I asked my friend in this letter, and I even just sent it out this past Saturday, that it's, I asked the question is, 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 are these verses teaching us that we can become sinless, or that we could, in any form or fashion, go a span of time without sin. See, he tries to say that if you can go a second without sin, you can go five seconds. If you can go five seconds without sin, you can go ten seconds. If you can go ten seconds, you can go a day. And if you can go a day, you can just continue to go without sin. And the question is, is that a biblical statement? Now, is that a biblical statement? Then we have to ask, first off, what got saved? And upon the point of a person getting saved, we've got to understand that it's the soul that gets saved rather than the flesh. Therefore, when the soul gets saved, the soul is forever saved, never to sin again, but it resides within a flesh, and this flesh hungers to live in that sin. And this flesh presses on to live in that sin. And then another question comes up in that topic as they, uh, some friends were preaching along some headings and, and made the statement that the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 was a lost man. Therefore, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? He asks the question. And as I talked with a friend here, I said, there's no way Paul could be a lost man. And I said, Paul, God says he used holy men of God to write his word. He said, yeah, but he was talking about his past, but he's talking in a present tense. And then the next question comes up is, could Christ have sinned? Now we're getting downright serious. Could Christ have sinned? And the answer is absolutely not. He could never have sinned. The man side of Christ could be tempted, but the God side of Christ could never sin. And never could sin, nor would he sin. And so on this topic of the sinless perfection as it crosses over, and I look at that camp and they've gone too far that direction. The easy believism's gone too far one way, sinless perfection's gone too far that way. Over here's another group that believes divorce is acceptable in the pulpits, and we see that group's gone that way. And I state that the need for the holy, independent, separated Baptist churches is that God would raise up a, a church that would have a meeting that would put holiness back as God has it rather than as man wants it to be. 
We need to be sure there's so much confusion and we need to be sure we get it straight. Secondly, a reason why we need to have this meeting is not only because of the confusion of the holiness, but also because of the sinister adversary who hates holiness being Satan himself. We've got an adversary that hates holiness. Satan strives. He strives to make man turn from God. He strives to make man worship himself. He strives to, inv- in, uh, to, to initiate evil. He strives to do so many wicked things. He's the deceiver. He's the father of all lies. He's the adversary. But in Mark chapter 4, I want us to note as well that when we go out soul winning, he's out there striving to take the word away. And in Mark chapter 4, it says in verse 15, and the scripture would tell us, Mark chapter 4 and verse 15 is not a, excuse me, yeah, Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 15, the scripture tells us that as Satan is out there, and we're out there trying to give out the word, and he said, and these are they, he says, by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And so his attempt is to take the Word of God away from people's hearts. We've got the book of Romans, it's a book of doctrine. We've got the book of the Corinthians, and it's a book of reproof. We've got the book of, of Galatians, and it's a book of correction. We've got, we've got Ephesians down through, uh, through Jude. We've got that as a book pointing toward righteousness. And he would strive to take all that away and get us to do all kinds of wacky things just so that we could, in some fashion, please our own flesh. And so because of the adversary that we have, we need this meeting that will, prove, that will lift up holiness and will be found pleasing in the eyes of God. And then in Isaiah chapter 6 as well will be one other as I'll look at this evening. Isaiah chapter 6, and as I look here, I find in verse 1 that King Uzziah died. And then I find that when Isaiah was looking and he looked upon uh, God himself, he heard them crying, holy, holy, holy. And as he looks upon God, he sees this in verse 5, and he says, woe is me. So when he saw God, he saw himself. And then when he sees the woe is me status, then then he's crying out, Lord, here am I, send me. And so we see then that one reason we need this holy, independent, separated Baptist meeting is so that we can adjust the eyes of the people upon a holy God. Now I want us to note then, and I'm done. I want us to note in verse 1, he said, In the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I also, I saw also the Lord. And so when his king died, it helped him to adjust his vision upon God. Now this evening I have just three simple points that I was after, and then I'll read this one other thing that I'm after this evening, and I'll be done. First off, because of the confusion about holiness. Second off, because of the sinister adversary that we have. Third off, because of the commander that is uh, our commander being holy. And then I want to make this statement that first off, we must have separation right. Second off, we must have our doctrine right. And third off, we must have our compassion right. But if we're not careful, all we'll do is adjust the fleshly side of things and call it holy and it's anything but holy. In Romans 1, and I've stated it before, but I'll just bump it again. In Romans 1, we find there that Paul, he was separated, he was called. And then as well, first off, he was, he was a servant, then he was called, and then he was separated. But he said he was separated unto the gospel of God. Step number one in our separation, if we're ever going to have a true separation, isn't women putting a dress on. 
Step number one is not women getting rid of their makeup or makeup or growing their hair long. Step number one isn't the guys correcting their speeches. But step number one is us going to God and separating unto Him first and foremost. Our independent Baptist ranks have been filled with a body of people who know full well how to do things and look right and look down their nose at everybody else that doesn't have it quite their way. And we're in a world of trouble. We need a meeting that will adjust our vision in holiness.